Welcome to Mind the Shift. I am Anders Bolling. This episode is the result of yet another discovery uh, of mine on Medium, the blogging platform. And yes, we will yet again delve into the big questions of who we are, where we come from, and where we're heading. The writings of Graham Pemberton caught my attention some time ago, maybe last spring or last winter, I can't remember, remember exactly, uh, because he published pieces like uh, The Reality of Extrasensory Perception, The Resurrection of Jesus, uh, Carl Jung and the Collective Unconscious, Quantum Physics and Spirituality. So those, I mean, headlines like that really catch my attention. And he has a website. No, he has two websites. Uh, one is dedicated to his first love, as he puts it, his music. And the other one is called Spirituality in Politics. Now, that sounds like an unorthodox combination. And hopefully we will get back to that and uh, explain more about what that is, hear more about that. So uh, welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invitation. Okay, so we've spoken a lot here on this podcast, as you may know or may not know, I don't know how much you've listened, but uh, about bridging the gap between science and spirituality. So uh, that's a big theme here. And is that also one of your main motivations, would you say? Uh, yes, I call it the reunification of science and religion, or spirituality, if you prefer. But I, I tend to use the term religion because I don't see it. A big distinction between religion there obviously there are orthodox religions and there is religion in the true sense which ultimately means the same thing as spirituality i believe okay yeah well i i i tend to think that there is a difference but it's interesting to hear yeah. you say saying there that. are orthodox religions who obviously have yeah. corrupted and you know done wrong things to spirituality and spiritual concepts but uh the, the word religion actually means linking back religio link back which is ultimately what spiritual people are trying to do they're trying to link back to the to the source i believe yeah well if you see it that way then it's it makes sense actually because i've always thought that religion um it relates to i mean traditions and, and dogma and uh, structural well, things that's what it's become that's yeah. what humans have done to it exactly so uh to speak a little bit about the the latest pieces that you've published on medium i mean you publish so many texts there it's really fascinating uh, but and i have definitely not read all of all of what you've written that would, be, that would be amazing that, that would be, be amazing. amazing yes i'm not that amazing so i've, I've read a few of them and uh, they're really very interesting very very uh, you can learn so much from them um uh, one of the good things is also that you read a lot of books and you tell others what those books are about so yeah, yes we who read your text don't yeah. I've got a great pile of them here. Should I need to refer to them during the course of uh, okay. <laughs> during the course of this uh, discussion? That's very good. So, and yeah, you you've uh, written lately, the last few months. I understand a lot about quantum physics and spirituality, the the, the link between quantum physics and spirituality or religion or whatever yes. you want to call it. Yeah, and they dive pretty deeply. And and you must have read, of course, dozens of books about that. You mention or you refer to. Names like uh, Fred Allen Wolf, Richard Capra, David Baum, and all, all those people. And Dana Zohar seems to have a special yeah. place in your quantum heart. Why, why is that? Tell us. Um, when, I, when I first started that series, I thought it might just be one article like the previous ones had been. Then when I went over my notes, I realized how it was that somebody starting from a 
position of uh, physics, quantum physics, suddenly explored all the questions that are traditionally associated with spirituality. So the more I reread her book, even though I didn't necessarily agree with everything in it, it was a fascinating exploration of how somebody starting from the point of view of science can be led into these deeper questions about the afterlife, about consciousness, ultimately about cosmology and the nature and the nature of God. So it was like I suddenly got taken over and every chapter I read felt like it needed a new article to uh, to discuss that. So know. what's I, the name of her book? Uh, it's called The Quantum Self. The Quantum Self. The Quantum Self. I mean, I, I, I'm more deeply fascinated by the ideas of David Bohm. I think he is the ultimate person who links spirituality with quantum physics. But yeah as I discussed in a subsequent article, but um, Dana Zohar suddenly caught my attention as somebody who was struggling with all the issues that science struggles with and through quantum physics went deeper and deeper into all those traditional metaphysical and spiritual issues. That's why she ended up taking up so many articles, so to speak. Dana Zohar, very yeah. interesting. So, I mean, the, the, the issue of uh, quantum physics and spirituality is really a uh, fascinating and big one in these contexts you hear a lot of people talking about it and but it, it hasn't always been like that or rather it's gone in it's coming waves yes so bef before we we go further here i it would be interesting to hear you um, elaborate a little bit on on what happened um what has transpired when it comes to how the connection between quantum physics and religion or spirituality uh, has been depicted I mean, since the maybe since the 1970s or so, you, you mentioned a lot of books that came out then and then there was a yeah. dip and then there was another wave. Yeah. So can you yeah. can you explain what what has happened in, in this in this context? Uh, you mean from from yeah. from 1975? From like what? 19. Yeah, I think that was the was that when Fritch of Capra's book came out or was it, it was a bit he was a bit later. I mean, in in my series of articles, the first one I identify is um, Fred Allen Wolf's book, oh, Space, yes. Time and Beyond. Yeah. So he was that was 1975 um, and he was completely overtly you know, stating spiritual ideas from his perspective as a physicist. OK, that was then followed by um, Fritch of Capra, who specifically linked quantum ideas as he perceived them um, to uh, Eastern religions. He has chapters on Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Zen, and, and Taoism. Uh, so he was um, obviously, uh, he was um, endorsed by Heisenberg in his writing of that book. So Heisenberg obviously thought that he was onto something. Uh, and then there was an explosion, apparently, I'm not familiar with all these books. There were apparently, according to Capra and, and um, uh gosh what's his name uh ken wilber ken wilber mm. according to both of those there was then an explosion of um our, our books and articles on this theme um in the next seven or eight years and then at that point ken wilber came in with his book quantum physics and denied that any of this was true he was saying um you know <laughs> this is all nonsense physicists aren't saying this you know wake up you know etc etc he was trying to even though he was a perennial philosophist and deeply spiritual, he um, was saying, no, 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 this isn't what they were saying. I've written an article critical of his, of his thinking in yeah. that series. Um, and then again, it took off. Um, we had um, uh, Dana Zohar's book, Quantum Self in the 90s, and also a fascinating book called Bridging Science and Spirit by Norman Friedman. And ironically, he compared the perennial philosophy with the ideas of David Bohm. And 
as his spokesman for the perennial philosophy, he chose Ken Wilber. <laughs> so Ken Wilber, having denied that any of this was true, was then chosen as the spokesman <laughs> whose ideas were the same as David Bowe. You know, it's, uh, it goes around in circles, all this thing. Um, Ironic, yeah. And as I was saying, um, the latest development is uh, this year, uh, Carlo Rovelli has published his book, Heligoland, um, which uh, is trying to take quantum physics back to almost materialism. You know, he's trying to deny any spiritual aspects to do with religion, the soul, spirituality. He, he's taking it back, as it were, to nothing much more than matter. We have to we have to re-understand how we interpret matter, but nevertheless, it's still matter, basically. Yeah. So Rovelli is trying to to roll back from the spiritual. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my interpretation. Yes, yeah. that's my interpretation. What, what is it called? Helgoland. That's an island in the. In the it's north. an island. It's where it's the island where Heisenberg went and meditated upon the initial problems of um, quantum physics. So he went there to this lonely island and sort of sorted out quantum physics in his mind. You know, and okay. that's why it's called Helgoland because it's where Heisenberg made the initial discoveries you know, in his mind that sorted out quantum physics. But what does Rovelli say about, I mean, the fact that many of these actual physicists really refer to spiritual, mystical um, traditions um, in their writings? Well, well, in a nutshell, he's saying they were wrong. Okay. <laughs> in, <laughs> in a nutshell. So that, that's a summary of his book. Yeah. That's a summary of his book. Yes. Mm-hmm. In, um, I go through all the points in, in my article about him. I go through all the points where he denies, well, he tries to advocate materialism. He denies anything spiritual. Uh, and so on. So I list all the points that um, he, uh, where he's trying to take quantum physics back to materialism or quasi-materialism. Okay. Huh. So yeah, interesting how it's how it's been going in waves up and down like this, and uh, it's almost like there is a there is fashion in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Yes. Yes. Well. And there's the ongoing battle between spirituality and materialism, which has been going on a lot longer than uh, the yeah. quantum physics uh, era. Yeah, it started in the, I guess, in the 17th century or something like that. Yeah, yeah, well, that. that was that was when there was a, a, a divergence, a, yeah. a noticeable divergence. Yes. Yes. This is all very, very fascinating. But Graham, you haven't always been interested in all things spiritual, have you? I mean, uh, I haven't. No, no, I haven't. No. You told me in your in our pre-interview conversation or communication here that you had a dramatic spiritual awakening, and now yes. that's truly intriguing. Tell us, tell us more about that. Um. Uh, well, it followed a period of, I mean, I, at school, my best subject was French. And therefore, uh, not knowing what else to do, I went to um, university to study French because I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't think of anything else to do. And I went into a sort of a depression after that, which retrospectively, I interpreted I'd made a bad life choice. You know, yeah. Because I'd made the wrong life choice, I went into a period of depression so I became, I studied at university, I studied Sartre, uh, Beckett, Camus, all those, the existentialists and stuff. And that seemed to tie in with my state of mind. Yeah, and well, the good things like that. So it, once, re- yeah. it reinforced, uh, it reinforced my, what, what was going on inside my head um, and things like that. And uh, then I, I, I sort of well, hadn't thought very deeply about it, but I imagine on the basis of those writings, I would call myself an atheist at those points, at that point. And uh, then I, obviously became a bit disenchanted with that or lost interest and uh, sort of went, had a spell in left-wing politics, which was also, from my perception, a mistake, which only increased my depression. <laughs> so it came to the point in about, well, whatever it was, I started you know, feeling severely depressed and um, 
How old were you, were you then? Um, um, I was about uh, coming on for 30, about late 20s, 20, 29, something like that. Um, and then uh, having got to that point of having suicidal thoughts and not that I was planning suicide, but it's just like, what is the point? What is the point? Yeah. Um, I then made the decision, influenced by somebody else who was like a sort of a mentor to me at that point, to um, look inside rather than outside. Right. So uh, left wing politics is about blaming other people. It's about blaming the bourgeois, blaming the rich. It's blaming everybody for your problems apart from yourself. You know? And at that point, something led me to look inside myself to solve my problems rather than outside. And that sort of it's like I started a personal psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. And that decision was what triggered uh, the spiritual awakening. I started writing autobiography. Um, analyzing my life, um, all my um, tendencies, my personality. And that triggered an explosion of weird stuff. I mean, dreams. Uh, I was doing an ESP course at the time. The ESP course was amazing. Wild synchronistic events in the Jungian sense. Um, the whole world was going mad, basically, mm-hmm. as an attempt to persuade me, you know, of the error of my previous ways, you know, and a veil was opened, if you like, to what was really the re- universe was really like, you know, all these, um, helpful beings trying to help me from somewhere outside my consciousness. Uh, everything I've just said, the whole world went completely mad and, oh. um, and, a veil was torn over a period of six months. I suddenly saw how life really was. So you, you explain, you describe it as if the veil was was being taken away from. Yeah. You. yeah. So how, how did you how did you perceive the world after the the veil was lifted? Well, in, in the way that most spiritual traditions do, in the viewpoint of these spiritual quantum physicists, you know, um, things are interconnected. We are our consciousness is not just something to do with our brain. Um, we can make contact telepathically with other people. I mean, it, the whole the whole vision of how consciousness and the universe work just just changed. And if you believe in the transcendental aspect of synchronistic events, what on earth is organizing Jungian synchronistic events mm. from some other level of reality? Those sorts of questions, open mm. mind. mind. I forgot to see, mention. Did you actually see that? Did you see auras? No, well, well, no. It was it was obviously it was how I interpreted the world having experienced those events. And there's a very interesting dream that I had at the end of that period. In this dream, I was in a cinema watching a Monty Python film. Hmm. So my dream had informed me, what you've been watching is a Monty Python film we've created for you. you know? <laughs> and now there's going to be, an, there was an intermission in the film, an intermission, yeah. yeah. It's now going to stop, yeah. The veil has been torn. You've seen what it's really like. Now Now we're going to go back to normal, sort of. Sort of thing. Okay, yeah, that, that's very clear. Isn't it? If you interpret it that way, yeah. I, I interviewed a, a an Italian musician called Marco Misinato, who is also awakened, you might call it, and he said some very fascinating things about how life, the veil, and taking away the veil, and and all that. And he said he also had this analogy with us looking at a f- movie in a theater, actually, yeah, and it's going to be like that when more more and more people are going to be to. Are going to awaken? They will. Uh, they will um, uh, interpret it as if you know the lights go on in the theater, and suddenly you see what's what's around the theater, and you don't see the. I mean, the the screen is going to be 
ever paler and you're going to see what's outside of the screen more or less and it's going to be like whoa this was a was an amazing movie an amazing show but now it's over and thank you for us having <laughs> having experienced it but now we have to go on <laughs> absolutely a bit like that yeah. Well, if the world carried on being like that, it's hard for me to function the way that I do now. I mean, I would be constantly, I wouldn't have time to practice my guitar and I wouldn't be able to write because I wouldn't be able to concentrate because if all these mad things were still going on, you know, how would I be able to do what I'm now doing? Yeah. So how did it, did it, um, uh, did it dissuade a little bit after, after these six months that you... Okay. Um, well, um, I mean, I, I, I mean, since then I've had occasional synchronistic events and yeah. I still obviously haven't dreams sometimes big dreams and things like that but this period of the world going mad is over i forgot to one, mention one thing in that period of transformation right at the end of it i did an extraordinary consultation with the i ching uh-huh you understand you know, the, you know the i ching yeah i don't i'm not very familiar with it but i know yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this uh, uh i ching yeah 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 okay so um that was one last thing that blew my mind and i had this sort of burning question and this mentor of mine had a copy, that copy of the I Ching. And he invited me to go over for my first, you know, initiatory meeting with the I Ching. So I did, I threw the coins, then he opened the text for me at the right place. And it just blew my mind in answer, you know, it answers my question, you know. So yeah. that was the fire, that was, that was the last thing I missed out in that, that previous description. Yeah. Uh, my first initiation into the I Ching, which never fails to work. It never yeah. fails to work. Oh. But do you do you feel do you, do you feel that way <clears throat> continuously now in your life that if you just open yourself to the universe and what the universe wants to show you and and let let's so to speak the life unfold as it is supposed to unfold for you that 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 things happen the way they should in the in the right order and all that is it um, the way uh, I, I, I have no direct perception into that I, I believe intellectually that's true. But um, I don't have any direct insight. I don't meditate or try to attain higher states of consciousness, which might enable me to um, access those that, that sort of statement. I just believe it intuitively yeah. you know, from my own experiences. Mm. And that gives a kind of a calm, I guess. Also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, I'm very, as you can tell, I'm very interested in writing and the intellectual side and um, investigating these ideas. I, I believe that's part of my my journey. Yeah. And you're also, you mentioned this, you're also uh, a musician. You're, you're a player, yes. singer, yeah. songwriter. So tell us about that. Uh, well, um, um, I, well that, was, that was always the choice I should have gone down when I originally chose French to go to university. I mean, I should have gone to music. Yeah. I didn't believe I, well, I didn't believe I had the, cap the ability or the talent or anything. I had doubts or whatever. I had no reason to think that it could be successful in that way um but as a result of the spiritual awakening i mean through dreams and other things i was led in the direction that my original choice should always have been music so since then i've written in not a massive number of songs but um quite a few songs um on the sort of themes that we're talking about um obviously i can't go as deeply in a, into a song of three four five minutes you know as some of the um, topics we're discussing today. That's why I write as well. Yeah. Pete Townsend from The Who, he once said, there's a limit to what you can say in a three-minute pop song, <laughs> which is <laughs> it's, it's clearly true. true <laughs> there is yeah, a limit yeah. to what you can say in a three-minute pop song, you know, but um, you can say a certain amount. You just try and capture something, you know, in a, a three or four-minute song. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been trying to do. If you things in a poetic way, you can probably say more things yeah. in, in that way Indeed, than, yeah. than in, a, in an ordinary text, I guess. That's my hope. 
That's my hope, yes, yeah. So what kind of music is it? Is it like singer-songwriter music? It's singer-songwriter stuff. I mean, on my YouTube channel, it's um, it, it's just that singing and guitar. It's an acoustic guitar arrangement of my main songs. I've just splashed out on the latest Mac with Logic and GarageBand in order to do a fuller arrangement of my songs. That's the that's the plan anyway, yes. Um, you know, with, um, with backing, so a full arrangement of my songs. Um, I've just bought the latest Mac to help me do that, but I haven't really got down to it yet. Okay. So do you, do you perform also or? Um, well, during lockdown, it's been pretty difficult. Um, before lockdown, yeah. I was doing open mics, which is mean you go to a pub or a bar and yeah. then you get two songs or whatever, something like that. So I was doing quite a lot of that um, before lockdown. Haven't quite got back into it again yet. The, lock, the open mics are just beginning to reopen after lockdown. Mm -hmm. And then the, obviously, uh, once I've got a bit more uh, confidence with that, then I could try and get gigs or, you know, festival performances or something like that, you know. Okay, so how did you begin writing things and publishing things on Medium like you do now and, and also writing all these articles on, the, on your website? Uh, uh, well, I'm... Um, well, I've been doing, I suppose you could say I've been doing research and reading for 20 years, perhaps uh, a long time. And then uh, um, I hadn't done anything with it. And then a friend of mine just informed me of Medium, told me about the existence of Medium. And it yeah. seemed like a good idea. I went on it and uh, saw what people are doing and thought, oh, this is this is the place, you know. So I, I just signed up and started. And uh, at the same time, I, I developed my website then. I started my website at that point, you know, so that I could publish jointly in both places, in both, in both forums. And you have written a book or two, haven't you, also? Uh, well, I, um, the book I've written, um, I call it a book. I mean, it's finished. It's unpublished. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it's one of these things that I've never done anything with. It's just been sort of sitting there wondering what to do with it. Um, <laughs> it's it's on, uh, on a slightly weird subject for some people, astrology. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Follow, I, um, to me, it's I, not weird. I, it's I, not, I, that's it's great. Not as you mentioned, the metro, Mercury retrograde. And I stuff. know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not, that's great. It's great to hear it's not weird. Okay, so well, basically, um, following my spiritual awakening period of six months, my mentor, who was into all this sort of stuff, um, invited me to go to an astrology lecture mm -hmm. um, at the local library. Yeah. And uh, so I went along because everything else that he told me so far up to that point had been, you know, been great. <laughs> and uh, and then the, the one thing that stood out from what the speaker said was, he said that um, um, after 28 years, the planet Saturn returns to the place yeah. of your birth. Classic. Saturn return. Saturn return. And he said, Saturn is the planet of unfinished business when you're forced to confront all your unresolved issues which is exactly what had happened to me when I was 28, you know, so I thought, wow, <laughs> that's extraordinary, yeah. which led me to believe, well, there might be something in this astrology after all, you know. Mm -hmm. So I then, from an outsider's perspective, I don't study astrology, I don't do it technically speaking. But, I mean, I started reading a lot of the literature around it of what astrologers were saying. So I, I wrote this book trying to get to the bottom of how astrology might be true, how it might be true. So from an outsider's perspective, Can we find anything meaningful and true in astrology? Yeah, I, I, I read this uh, article about it. I think it probably an extract from your book or something. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, I found very intriguing and interesting. And uh, because it is actually, I mean, I, I think it's a good endeavor to try and, and, and explain these things in a way that mod modern people can understand it because it's, it's, it becomes, it very easily becomes very woo-woo if you, if you don't do that. So I think yeah. it's very 
it was very, I can't ex remember exactly sure. uh, the, the contents but, of that article, but I, I remembered that yeah, I thought that, well, wow, this is interesting. Well, in, the, in, the, in part one of the book, I tried to develop a worldview which would make astrology possible. That's it. Yeah. So I create a worldview which would make it possible. And that worldview is very much based upon quantum physics, the sort of yeah. things that David Bohm, etc., all those others were saying, and Jungian psychology, the world of the archetypes and his archetypal cosmos. So it's like it's a synthesis of Jungian psychology and quantum physics was the worldview which would allow astrology to be possible. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's it's good. I I had this. Uh, I I had Pam Gregory on the on the show. Oh yeah, you know about her, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, this, no, this book. I've no, noticed her. Yeah, her book is called "You Don't Believe in Astrology, Do You?" <laughs> it's, it's an excellent title. <laughs> yeah, and uh, she explains very well, also very eloquently, what it is about. And I asked her. She's a wonderful woman, and she 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 said some very very. Interesting things on on the show. You you might want to listen to that interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's episode forty one or something. And then we talked about the basics of of what astrology is. And I think personally, I personally think that it's maybe a bad idea to 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 keep uh, not a bad idea, but to make people understand that it's not about some kind of radiation emanating from the stars or the planets entering our bodies. But rather, it's like um, every every point in space-time has its own quality, so to speak. So there is a quality in time, and every point in space-time is is unique, mm -hmm. and that's more what it's all about, in my view. That um, mm -hmm. I mean, you have you can you can you can um, divide uh, heaven or the the universe in in three hundred and sixty degrees. It goes all around the 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 earth mm -hmm. like this, and then. You can divide it into you know twelve sectors as astrology does, and the the twelve sectors have different. They are associated with different kinds, different packages of traits and and um, uh, and uh, properties. But it's not that. I mean, the 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 star constellation of of Libra, or the star constellation of Virgo, exactly is the entity that is affecting us. But yeah. it's rather the the sector itself, the, the, the part of this, the sky that is there. And there also happens to be this star constellation. And that's why we call it Leo, Libra, Virgo, whatever. So that's, I mean, if you can explain this, explain it in this way, I think it's easier to, for people to understand that it might be yeah. something about the quality of space-time and the points in space-time. And as you say, also quantum physics and the existence of a, of a unified field that is out there and can affect yeah. us or will obviously affect yeah. us. So the unified field is the interconnected universe. So the idea, I mean, quantum physics, everything is interconnected. So yeah. all particles are interconnected, even in long, even in non-locality non at great distances. There's no reason why actually physically the any part of the universe couldn't affect us. That's possible, but uh, along with you, I mean, the idea I go for is more, it more goes back to the ancient ideas of, it's not the planets themselves. This is a, a heavy idea, you could argue. It's like going back to what you would call the gods and the goddesses or mm. the, the archetypes behind the planets. Mm. So I know if we start calling them gods and goddesses, it's a bit, it's a bit funny, but, um, but what we, I mean, I think Plato believed that all soul, all planets and stars had a soul level to them. Like there's the, the in the same way that we believe that we have souls, like there's a, a like a soul level to the planets, and that's where, according to the ideas that I was getting from you and the archetypes, 
is that's the level of the planets where this stuff is coming from yeah. rather than the actual physical manifestation of the planets. That was an idea I was playing with and discussing in the book. Yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, yeah, archetypes is a very good concept in in this context, I think. And that's what some of the astrologers I was reading were saying. That they they were talking about Plato archetypes, that that sort of level. Yeah. Can, um, I don't know if you're aware of them. Can I just introduce you and your listeners to two books? Sure. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Well, this is one. Who, who puts everything that I said in my book much better. <laughs> okay. So this is a book called The Archetypal Cosmos uh-huh. by Kieran Le Grice. Okay. Now, he's, he sets out with the same aim as me to, to create a worldview which would make astrology possible. So it, there's lots of cosmology, Jung, archetypal stuff in there. So basically it's called The Archetypal Cosmos. Now he's following on from this other astrologer type philosopher called Richard Tarnas, called Cosmos and Psyche. You can put it a bit, little bit higher, please? A bit higher, yeah. Cosmos and Psyche, okay. Cosmos and Psyche by Richard Tarnas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, he is actually talking about the actual astrology, and he's proving, proving what astrologers say. Allegedly, you know, he analyzes what the planets say, and he goes through the history of the planet and human consciousness and identifies what astrologers say with that. So, so Kieran LeGrice, following, following on from Richard Tarnas, has written this book explaining or creating a worldview which would make astrology possible. And they've, they've done a much better job than I did. But, you know, I think my book is still interesting, but uh, they did a better job than I did. Yeah. Well, excellent. Thank you for the tips. And uh, I mean, you should try to publish your book, I guess. Uh, maybe. Well, I'm happy for people to read it on Medium at the moment. I'm about halfway through publishing it on Medium. Okay, good. So I'm going to be a little bit lazy here and, and just go by some of the bullet points that you you okay. said beforehand that you wanted to talk about in our conversation. Okay. I, I, I'm sure that some of it we have already covered here. Yeah. Uh, so the first bullet point you mentioned is the reunification of science and religion. We've talked about that, and and you have this view that religion is a word that you can use in this context, just as, as well as spirituality. Yeah, I'm comfortable with it. Not everybody is, but I'm comfortable yeah. with it, yes. So um, where do you think we're going with that? What's happening in, <laughs> um, when it comes to the reunification of science and, and religion? This this uh, this wave thing about, uh, I mean, this up and down going thing about uh, quantum physics and connect, connecting it to spirituality. Is that going to continue or deepen? Or what do you see? What, what tendencies do you see? Um, well, I, I haven't been following, I mean, apart from reading Carlo Rovelli's book, I haven't been following the latest developments in quantum physics. Uh, I see it as sort of going a bit beyond that. I mean, I see quantum physics as the key to the reunification. But at the same time, it's not being sufficiently appreciated. It's not being taken into account enough. I mean, you could argue that a hundred years ago, um, quantum physics destroyed materialism and the antiquated, you know, enlightenment worldview and the Newtonian physics and stuff like that. You could argue that. And yet a hundred years later, has anything much changed? I mean, we believe, I think, that we're in in the process of a paradigm shift, what's loosely called the new paradigm, along the lines of Thomas Kuhn's book. You know, there's the old paradigm, which is still hanging around, and that coexists with the new paradigm, and they live together simultaneously for a while, and at some point, something will happen to trigger, you know, the 
uh, kind of putting the old paradigm into the dustbin of history, you know, putting it into a into a cemetery somewhere. But it doesn't seem to have happened yet. <laughs> so all we can do is keep working. We notice that there are all sorts of scientists who are who think like we do. And at the same time, there are all sorts of scientists who think the opposite of what we do. Um, and so there is this ongoing tension between the old paradigm and the new paradigm. So we just have to keep working at it, you know, and at some point, if history teaches anything, the new paradigm will eventually take over, you know, and what we perceive as materialism, anti-spirituality will disappear or at least go back into the background for a period. I mean, up until the Enlightenment, uh, the sort of things we believe in were always considered to be true, yeah. I believe. Yeah, it's yeah. only in the last three or 400 years that there's been this um, divergence. Now, you could argue, and I'm willing to concede, that we needed that divergence in order to get the technology and all the stuff that we've now benefited from, you know, so the all the developments in electricity, technology, medicine, all that stuff. Perhaps we had to have the enlightenment to give us that. But there comes a point when that served its purpose and we have to move on to something else deeper. So uh, one of the ideas that I'm very interested in is that the evolution of consciousness is not like a straight line as sort of the enlightenment people might think, nor is it circular where you return to the beginning, but it's a spiral. Mm -hmm. You go around in circles and at some point you come to a point where you're exactly above something before, but you've incorporated what's happened in yeah, between. Yeah, that's a very, very good image, yeah. Yeah. So if you think of the uh, the Renaissance, the end of the Renaissance um, in Florence and Italy with Marsilio Ficino, Pico de Maron, all those sort of people who were reviving Hermeticism and all the ancient ideas, Plato, Neoplatonism. Right. So that was a point. And there was our divergence. The circle went round. We went through the Enlightenment. And now we're coming back to the point mm. where we need to reconnect what we've learned from the Enlightenment with the ancient worldview. That's that's my perspective. And we're at that point now because it's happening. It's happening. But, you know, what's going to trigger it to make it a reality? We, we need just to keep talking to people, persuading them, if it's possible to persuade these materialists and these people. Or alternatively, as some people say, you have to wait for them to die. <laughs> so <laughs> somebody said that progress in science is judged by funerals. Mm. You, know, you wait yeah. for the scientist to die. And then <laughs> we have to hope that we don't have to, we don't have to go through that because it's, it's too pressing. It's too urgent. You know, if the scientists and the climate change scientists are correct, then we haven't got that long to sort this out. You know, mm -hmm. we need to sort this yeah. out now, you know, and move on to the new paradigm before, you know, before there is no planet left or no humans. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure that that's going to happen. I'm, I'm no, neither am I. Neither I'm, am I. It's just what they're interested in. Subject actually, so I study a lot of that. Yeah, it's what they're saying. It's yeah, what, I know. Quite, I know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. something going on, but hmm, I'm not sure how. Yeah, they yeah. Do I'm, it. I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist too. Yes. Excellent. I'm too. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I tend to think exactly the same way you do here with the spiral um, analogy. That's really good. So we're. Uh, we're actually back to where we were in the 16th century, but on a very high, much higher level. So we're looking, yeah. as, as you say. So the reunification, yeah. the reunification to come will be yeah. taking human evolution of consciousness even further to another round of the spiral. Yeah. So we have to incorporate these, what we call science with, with what we also call spirituality and realize that it's actually the same thing. And mm -hmm. nowadays, maybe people can uh, incorporate these things e more easily because they can be, as I've written somewhere there, uh, understood as science. This, is, this can be understood as science, this mm -hmm. uh, spiritual thing. And maybe people won't. I mean, 
in 100 years, we won't probably even speak of spirituality and science like that. We might have a, a third word for, for That would be for great. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, it used to be called natural philosophy. That's natural what science philosophy. was called before the Enlightenment. Why not? Then they, science perhaps will develop a new term beyond natural philosophy and beyond science, perhaps, as you say. Yeah, yes. or life science is a very good term, yeah, actually. Well, yeah. but it's, it refers yeah. to something specific, but it, it might be yeah. called just that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I had a question um, there, but I forgot it. I okay, well, I, in that case, let me just... Some, some people are... Here's another book for you. Uh, do you know Gail Kimball? Gail Kimball? Um, yeah. No, unfortunately, yeah. I haven't heard of it. She, she has uh, published a trilogy of books called Dialogues with Visionary Scientists. Mm. Dialogues. With, so these are scientists who sort of, on the whole, believe similar things to what, to what we do and stuff like that, yeah? yeah. So this is the, this one called, here is called The Mystery of Re Mysteries of Reality. Yeah. And there are two earlier books in the series um, called The Mysteries of Healing, Dialogues with doctors and scientists, and the mysteries of knowledge beyond our senses. Dialogues, dialogue, sorry, dialogues with courageous scientists. Yeah. So the mysteries of knowledge beyond our senses. Dialogues okay. with great. So that's a trilogy of books where she interviews all these scientists who are what, what we would loosely call new paradigm scientists. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. It looks pretty, look pretty thick there. So if you oh, read it's the not, book, it's not too you, bad. You, you write, you, yeah, you read it. You write a review on Medium, and I'd read that. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, you don't have to read the whole thing. I mean, because it's loads of interviews with different. I mean, I've, I haven't read them all. I've picked out the two or three or the four that you yeah. know that um, were most appealing to me and stuff like that. Okay. Well, excellent. Your second bullet point was. Uh, also something that we are talking about right now, which is natural because it, it, it's a continuous flow here, but it's new paradigm thinking. Mm. So speaking of paradigms, uh, do you think that there is, uh, I mean, we, we, you mentioned that we might be in a point of time in history where there is a shift going on and a new way of looking at things, but do you think that there is a critical mass of spiritually awakened people so to speak that is needed for change to happen um well i can't possibly know whether there are enough at the moment i mean if you if you read on medium there are plenty of people writing on medium i'm not sure there are enough in the general populace that's the thing i mean they're in don't want to be disparaging amongst the middle class educated people there are reasonably large numbers of people who believe things that we do believe mm. things along the lines of the new paradigm but there are also plenty who don't um the general i don't, don't wish to be rude or offensive the general populace in britain at least seems far more interested in uh, cookery competitions on tv <laughs> dancing competitions uh whether their team's going to score in the next 10 minutes in the premier league um comedy shows you know it's what's most people seem preoccupied with those sorts of things i don't know what we have to do to create the number of people you you say i mean i just don't know the answer how many we have how close we are it's just like we have to keep working at that's all i can work and say yeah what about surveys where, where people are asked uh what they believe in and things like that okay. have, have, I, you seen, have you seen the, that kind i of haven't no do you, you, do you have any any information i i haven't recently but uh, i haven't seen any recently but I, I i think i have the impression that the number of or the, the proportion of people who are 
atheists, for instance, is not increasing. It's rather decreasing, I think. But I mean, I, I, I'm just guessing here. I, yeah, I, good I have that impression. Yeah. The problem is, of course, in America, you do those sort of surveys. You discover that most people are biblical fundamentalists and things mm. like that. So uh, <laughs> that's not yeah, actually helpful. They may not be atheists. Down, actually, in the yeah, yeah. United Indeed, States. yeah, yeah. Among, Indeed, among but, young people yeah, in the United States, yeah, they're not they're not yeah, going to church. Yeah. But if they're counted amongst the people who aren't atheists, then it's not all that helpful. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly yeah, yeah. what kind of uh, yeah. you know mind mindset that you need here to in order to understand these this mm -hmm. shift. Okay. So, um, well, I can just tell you, uh, talk speaking about <laughs> how difficult it can be sometimes to to uh you know to 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 reach out to to those kinds of people that are not used to thinking these ways in the ways that we are we are doing right here now i um, you know i wrote this piece on 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 medium that you that you have read also uh, two parts next leap will change everything i think is the title yeah indeed changes everything and we pray uh, we yeah, live in hope I, and pray <laughs> I tried to, I sent it to a couple of magazines here in Sweden, actually, but not in the English version, but the Swedish version, which I wrote first. And one of the magazines, which is a fairly much an out of the box thinking magazine, I would, I would say, at least as far as I know this magazine. And I sent it to them and they, they were interested and they uh, uh, conveyed it further to the, to the editor, the cultural editor in charge of these kinds of matters. And so he came back to, went, came back um, a few days later and, and <laughs> he asked me whether I had smoked mushrooms and, okay. <laughs> and also what is, I, I, without being ironic, I think, he, you haven't taken into account what China might think about this, the, the Communist Party of China and China is the coming power now. What, what, what are they going to say about these things? How is how is it going to be possible this change without taking into account what China has to say about it? And I, and I just realized, whoa! I mean, we're in, we're on different planets here. Yeah, uh, you certainly are. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we just ha we just have to work where we are, don't we? You work in Sweden, we'll work in the West. We'll let China sort themselves out. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's not worry about China. Let's, <laughs> Let's about focus China. on where we are. Yes. Yeah, I'm. I'm not talking about Chinese or Africans or Europeans. I'm talking about yeah, goddamn, yeah. you know, soul and spirit. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we might have a long way to go still. Yeah, who knows? Uh, by the way, do you know about the Galileo Commission? I always take the opportunity to do okay. some uh, marketing. No, inform me. It's a group of people. It's it's actually an offspring from the um, Scientific and Medical Network. It's a network of scientists and uh, philosophers and others who are adamant that we must understand exactly what we're talking about here, namely that uh, spirituality and science uh, have to merge. So they are working to 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 spread this this knowledge, new knowledge, also new science that is coming out from about near death experiences and, and things like that, and out of body experiences and uh, telepathy and uh, all those kinds of things, and even you know uh, previous lives research, very serious research at the University of Virginia. So uh, the Galileo Commission, and I interviewed also on the podcast uh, David Lorimer, who is uh, who is oh, heading that. I know him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. Um... Yes, he does. He he's the man who runs the Mystics and Scientists Conference, isn't he? Uh, yeah, it might be. Yes. yes. Yeah, I, I believe I've got a, a book here somewhere. <laughs> One of my uh -huh. books that I've got here somewhere is um, 
it's the mystics and so it's the it, there is definitely a uh, here, it, here it is is it david uh yes here we go um there is an organization in britain called the mystics and scientists conference ah, and they meet okay. once a year to discuss okay. and eat it and this is a book which is various lectures up to the the 1990s you may not be able to see that but the man at the top is edited by david lorimer oh, yes i can see that yeah yeah david lorimer yeah mm -hmm. so these are some of the scientists and mystics who came to the conference it's a transcript of their lectures and stuff like that yeah yeah so he's obviously an important figure. He is, he is. Okay, so a third bullet point here is ancient wisdom. Okay, yeah. Uh, so have you yourself delved into the, you know, the mysteries of the origins of humankind? Uh, oh, that's going a, a long way back. That's a, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> It's a long, that's going a long way back. I'd say I've studied, studied, I mean, I've made myself familiar up to a point with the teachings of um, Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, uh, Kabbalah, ancient Egyptian. Mm. Ancient Egyptian, let's say, if the orthodox story is true, doesn't go back beyond 3000 BC. So let's say I've studied at least from 3000 BC, sorry, yeah, 3000 BC yeah, up to the yeah, present, yeah. Up, up to when the ancient wisdom stopped. Mm. Let's say, well, it's never really stopped. It's been carrying on underground. But I mean, when the ancient wisdom was prevalent, let's say up to the time of Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. there was Kabbalism, there was Gnosticism, there were all those other ancient religions that came before up to that point. So if we call that ancient wisdom, then, then you have to worry about was humanity going on before that time? I mean, yeah. was Sumer really the beginning or was there ever Atlantis? You know, those mm -hmm. sort of questions, you know. So, so I mean, I, if Atlantis ever existed, I have no idea what they believed or taught. So, um, <laughs> so I, I can only stick with the, the texts and the writings that we have and the interpretations of them. Yeah, well, it's kind of fascinating to think the, the thought that um, there have been high civilizations uh, before, maybe several times, and that they have been destroyed for some reason, mm -hmm. for some one reason or the other. I mean, there is uh, this um, compelling evidence that there was a cataclysm uh, around, you know, 10,000 BC, I think, yeah. around that time, yeah. the yeah. young Gedrias. Yeah. And there's a lot, lots of scholars and, <clears throat> I mean, yeah. maverick uh, researchers, of course, but also scholars yeah. who are... Yeah diving into this and looking into this. And uh, there is some evidence that, that, I mean, something something definitely happened. And yeah. so why why not think the thought that there was a civilization that was wiped out, whether it was Atlantis or something yeah. something different, yeah. but- Yeah, we're not well, talking very, about- very, Also very mystical how the, I mean, the how the pyramids came about and, and the yeah. Sphinx and all that. And yeah, we yeah. know about that, all that discussion, I guess. The, the water erosion, Robert Schoch. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do, yes, yes, I know about that, yeah. So when I say ancient wisdom, I only really mean the text going back as far as the Vedas and uh, and Taoism and the, yeah. those sorts of things. I don't mean going earlier than that. That they, they may It may have been derived from earlier traditions, but um, I don't know anything about it beyond... Yeah. Um, well, about, it's ancient. It's ancient enough for for from our perspective. Our perspective but, yeah, yeah. But, but on some level, it's just yesterday. Also, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mean, and if, yeah. so, so when people like uh, Niels Bohr talk about quantum physics connects with the ancient wisdom, and when um, uh, Stanislav Grof, do you know Stanislav Grof? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, he's written this book in my pile here. I won't get it out. It's called Ancient Wisdom and Modern Science. Yeah. So Stanislav Grof is another one of my heroes. Yeah. You know, he is a giant, a giant in our field, you know, starting off as a, Mar well, not as a Marxist, starting off as a psychiatrist in Marxist Czechoslovakia, okay. where well, he was only allowed to do certain things. He suddenly got involved in this LSD program mm -hmm. for therapeutic uses you know, and discovered, well, the whole world, the, all, all the other worlds that you might access, you know, if our minds weren't so limited by our brains and stuff like that. So it, LSD opened all the, himself up. He had a, he had a confrontation with the god Shiva. Oh. In an LSD experience, you know, cosmic experience with Shiva, you know, wow. stuff like that, you know, and, um, and his clients and his patients were doing all sorts of extraordinary things. So basically over his life, he's been started off as a, a sort of a Freudian psychiatrist, psychoanalysis. He's been transferred into this being who believes in everything we believe in. You know, uh, he was a friend of Joseph Campbell in America. Um, he's, he's got the whole package, you know, the mythology, the astrology, the cosmology, the cos the consciousness. He's got everything, basically. He's brilliant. Mm, you mentioned Joseph Campbell as well. So there are so many brilliant yeah. Yeah, yeah. thinkers and, and feelers and pointers yeah, yeah. out there. And you also had this final bullet point, which is Jungian psychology. And you've mentioned Carl Jung several times already. Yes, uh, indeed. He was really ahead of his time, wasn't he? Uh, yes. I, I, well, I would say so. Um, people haven't caught up with him yet. So I, well, a lot of people have. But not so other people haven't. Uh, yeah. um, he's not widely accepted in traditional psychotherapy, um, psychiatry, and stuff like that. He's sort of um, ridiculed up to a point. He's mystical. That's the problem. Is it, is he still ridiculed? Would you say? Um, well, um, well, Shane, there was an article when one of my current series of articles on Medium. There was um, somebody who wrote an article. Um, I won't mention his name in case he doesn't want me to. Um, a, a a male. Um, philosopher type wrote an article about Jung and the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. And he, he's, he, the first half of his article was basically saying how Jung is ridiculed, he's not taken seriously in academia and stuff like that. I then got a reply from somebody else saying, well, that's not true where I live. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he lived in the European Union and he yeah. thought, thought that Jung was fairly standard fare on most psychology courses. But I think this other guy was possibly writing from America. Mm -hmm. So where there is much more, you know, um, control of what you're allowed to believe in, in, okay. in American academic circles. Um, so, well, and he's widely, I mean, strangely, I mean, I wrote an article in response to that man's article, and it's become my most popular article on Medium ever. The uh -huh. most number of claps, the most number of responses, you know, most number of everything, you know. So uh, it's gone off the scales. There's a lot of people out there who are with me saying, yeah. yes, yes, Jung doesn't need to be accommodated within science. You know, you, you stick with Jung as he is and stuff like that. So, um, uh, well, to get back to your original question, it's like Jung's ideas were the central part of my spiritual awakening. Okay. Everything that I did was deeply steeped in Jung. So you had dream interpretation, analyzing your own psyche, ESP I was doing, synchronicity was going mad, the I Ching. These are all things that are right out of Jung's textbook. And astrology. He, astrology. He, he was into astrology as well. Well, I, he was, yeah. Oh, but I, that wasn't part of my, well, that was part of my, that wasn't part of my six came, months. Came later, perhaps. Came just slightly later, yeah. Came slightly later, yeah. But my first six months were all those things. And so it was like I was being given a lesson in the textbook of Jungian psychology. You know, that's what my six months was, basically. It was just Jungian psychology.
So that's yeah, what I'm saying. Very what I'm interesting. Saying. It seems seems as if uh, Jung is at the core of many Westerners' uh, awakening processes or, or uh, yeah, spiritual awakenings that are happening in, in our necks of the woods, so to speak. Uh, it was like that for me as well. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say that I had a dramatic spiritual awakening at some specific point, but I've had I've had snippets of awakening all through my life, more or less. And I had w- one period when I uh, met my wife, who is now my ex-wife, but still my best friend, because we had a very happy divorce and we are, uh, we, 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 well, that's a different yeah, story. But that, we, that's the best kind. That that's it, the was best an act, kind. it was an act of love. Anyway, yes. so uh, when I met her, we had a period where we read a lot of Jung. And we had almost mystical experiences together. So before we had uh, a family and all that. So that was, it seems as if Jung is really close to the, maybe it's easier because he, he is also semi-recognized uh, in, in, in science, in Western science, to some extent, at least in, in Europe. So it might be easier for people to... Yeah get into these things by way of of Carl Jung. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's interesting in the sense that um, even though Hinduism and Buddhism and the Eastern religions are are deeply fascinating, he was critical of them because they didn't place enough importance upon what we do in this world at the material level. It was like he perceived them as um, trying to get rid of ego, to try and, um, well, obviously end the cycle of birth and rebirth and death and rebirth and trying to get to nirvana and escape the world and stuff like the world is suffering let's try and get off the planet sort of thing so he was critical of that he said you have to accept whatever suffering comes your way you know, that's part of the process of your spiritual awakening and what you do on this planet really matters you know that's why he's so important for me yeah yeah, you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose, a vocation. Exactly. Yeah. And try and find out what that yeah. Try and find out what that is. Yeah. 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 So, and your one of your um, websites ha- has the title or is called uh, Spirituality in Politics. It, uh, it, well, that's, yes, it is. It so, does. To me, it's uh, two, two very different. Uh, I don't know why really, but it, to, actually to me, it feels like these are two uh, not very compatible uh, entities. Indeed, <laughs> that's, and that's why I was very keen to synthesize them. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, apart from anything else, one obvious reason for it was to get the domain name before anybody else thought of it. That was, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so make sure I got it first. Yes. yes. Okay. Then on to the more um, the more relevant part of your question. Um, well, it's it may be a utopian sort of fantasy, but one could argue that the only way we're ever going to make the new paradigm happen is if that people like us take control of society you know, through democratic processes, political parties. Yeah, We need to take control so that people can then, you know, well, obviously to get in, you'd have to have a lot of people voting for you. So have a lot of people on your side before you started, wouldn't you? So yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of people were already voting for you. And then once you're in control, then you can put in the sort of um, policies and the practices you know, which would help to bring the new paradigm ever closer. I mean, if you, if you even get voted in, you're bringing the new paradigm closer because people want what you have to offer. Yeah. That's why I call it spirituality in politics, okay, because yeah. it's a sort of a, a fantasy about, you know, pra- perhaps one day people like us might be able to take control, you know, and... Uh, yeah, I don't like the word control, though, because I don't mean control in a negative sense. I just yeah, mean I, I in, it's, 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 of taking positions of power and yeah. influence, you know, and government. Do you think that it's possible even 
uh, even because, uh, I mean, it reminds me of what Michael Tellinger told me when I interviewed him, that he once ran for president for the presidency of South Af Africa with his Ubuntu party. And he wanted to, as he said, plant a seed of consciousness in politics. But he came to the conclusion that it's completely uh, impossible because it's so corrupt and it's so entrenched in, you know, the 3D thinking and the, the structural thinking and the uh, control thinking that it was, he just gave up because it was, okay. there was no point in trying. That's right. what he said to me. Okay, yeah. All I can say is we live in hope and it's what the world needs. That's all I can say. Yeah, it's, We live in hope and it's what the world needs. <laughs> that's, why my, that's why my website is called Spirituality and Politics. That's good. That's good. It's laudable. And uh, and I'm not saying that you're wrong, that, that, is, that it is Thank impossible. You. But, Thank you. <laughs> but, but I... I, 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 I suspect that it might be a little bit... You understand the difficulties. It, yeah, to do it, to use the... Me, the, the I mean, to, to utilize the, uh, the structures that we want to break by way of the structures. I mean, uh, to uh, break the structures. Yes, I know what you mean. Way, yes. Yeah, you understand yeah, what I mean. I understand what you mean, yeah. Well, indeed, yeah. But there doesn't seem any other way. I mean, you can't get into positions of power influence government unless you go through the democratic well you, there is the idea of a political revolution but uh, i don't think that's going to work i mean you can't have a revolution unless you have the people on your side if you have the people on your side you should be able to get in via democratic means yeah yeah well i guess we need some kind of my i often say that we don't really need leaders in the traditional sense leaders yeah, absolutely with, with capital l we don't yeah. need those anymore because we yeah. can think yeah. by our, for ourselves and we are more educated and more informed than ever yeah. At least in these parts of the world. So uh, what we need are, I, I guess we will always need administra administrators, very yeah. skilled administrators. Yeah. And we will always need people who yeah. can inspire us. So I yeah. say we need inspirers and yeah. administrators. We don't yeah. need leaders. Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, we can, we can manage most of our stuff yeah. in our lives yeah. ourselves, and we should with love and compassion yeah. and all that, you know. If there's an overlap between leaders and inspirers, let's call our what I call a leader, you're calling an inspirer. So okay. it's like it's the it's the philosophical source to which people look or to what inspires them. Yeah, that's what I that's loosely what I mean by a leader. It's somebody who can inspire. Yeah. But also when you look at politics today in a country like Britain or Sweden or I don't know. United States, of course, it's it's like people really like to mock the, their leaders. They, they they vote for them and then they mock them because it, it kind of, it, it's like it, they need this this uh, you know this figure to mock to to think of as if it's something different from themselves. We, I, I, I don't know what I want to say by this, but yeah, yeah. Well, like, it, it, what you're saying is once you get in, it's very hard to maintain your popularity. I yes, it is. It is. Yeah. I actually think that the, the, the leader, or I don't think we should call him a leader even, the, the prime minister that we have in Sweden right now is actually, I mean, regardless of what I think of his party and his politics and all that, that has nothing to do with him. But his personality, his style is actually very low-key and uh, many of the Nordic uh, prime ministers, I think, have more or less the same style, which is, I, I think, not too bad when it comes to this, what we're talking about now, because... They're very close to, to a situation where, where you don't really have leaders with, with a capital L. You just have yeah. people yeah. administrating things. And, uh, and, and that's how it should be, I think. You shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't. I mean, take a country like Switzerland, for instance. Who even knows who's the prime minister of Switzerland? Nobody knows. And okay. I think that's, that's excellent. I don't. 
<laughs> I don't, okay. Do you, uh, is do that, you know? I don't know. Is that because they are so low key and uh, not really? They have a lot really of referenda, and they have. I think they have a rotating system or something. Okay. So it's really just you vote for a party, and and, and who is who is in charge is 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 of no relevance really. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Kind of simple. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, uh, yeah, I think you mentioned something about Brexit also on this. Did I? On, okay. On this website spirituality and politics, or, or have I misunderstood something that that? that uh, you... on, on, on my website, yes, yes. Um, I am strangely, you might think I am. I did actually vote for Brexit. I am a. Yeah. Uh, I'm not in but favor. Does, of... does that have to do with with your spiritual in inclination? In, indeed, it does. Yes. I mean, I perceive the European Union and institutions like it as attempts to get rid of democracy basically mm -hmm. you can't you remove elected politicians with unelected people in brussels or wherever they are yeah so they rule you they govern you they lead you whatever you want to call it some they may seem quite nice perhaps you know but uh, but basically i perceive the european union to be a neoliberal conservative capitalist organization you know and they are trying to get rid of means that we have our democratic vote in britain to get rid of people like them because we can't get rid of them you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, are, we are we can vote for our own token puppets who are the you know in hop to the european union so um to to leave the european union was the only way we could maintain our democratic possibility of voting in people we really wanted so you believe in the nation state then i believe in the nation state i believe um, there's a, I don't know if you've heard of them, there's a, there's a party, they're a bit low-key party in Britain called the Social Democrat Party, Social Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a popular term, but they're, they're almost non-existent in Britain. Uh, but anyway, one of, one of the key parts of their manifesto is the nation state is the upper limit of democracy. Mm -hmm. and but it's not very old, it's from the 1800s in most cases. What the it was created, the nation state was well, created well, yeah. in the hundreds in most cases. Well, indeed, but we didn't have a we didn't have supranational, we didn't have anything like the European Union in the 1800s. No, but I mean, it's not, it's it's, it's a bit of a stretch to say that it's a natural thing. It might be natural in some cases. Well, okay, like, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 well, what they're saying is, or it's, I mean, you, England isn't it, Great Britain isn't it yeah, natural because you have Nor yeah. Northern Ireland and Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, you, if you go beyond the nation state, you can't have democracy, is what they mean. Is if you uh -huh. take if you take it beyond the nation state and you're subsumed to a, a greater whole. Then, but I mean, we are globalizing. We're we know in real well, time we are, what's happening but, on the other side of the world. And but can, we are. Can, but are we globalizing? Friends, I can be friends with people in the Philippines. Absolutely, with them over the, yeah. the internet, which I yeah. couldn't hundred years ago. Absolutely. Well, we, well, we're doing that at an interconnectedness level of the populations. But do we want that to become a world government in, no, under the, under like the current people that are under the current people that are running the world? Do we want a world government along those lines where we can't vote for our leaders? No, that, that's that's what we don't want. That's that, I agree on that. Yeah. What we want is a world, a human family brought together through spirituality, mm. not through the current system. Yeah. So you are not against the United Kingdom's cooperating. Are the people of the United Kingdom cooperating closely with the people of Sweden, Germany, absolutely, Holland, absolutely, France, absolutely, everywhere? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And by way of some other and uh, some yeah, other kind yeah, of uh, yeah. system than, than uh, you, you love and love and cooperation. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, th this idea of we do something in our national interest. 
if you do something in your natural interest, obviously it's against somebody else's natural. So everything yeah. you do in your natural interest, somebody yeah. else is going to hate you, aren't they? You know, so uh, so we have to stop thinking about uh, doing things in terms of our natural interest. Obviously, that's not going to happen with the current people we have in. Um, no, that's true. At the so moment, we need to we need to start a, a spiritual EU then. Yeah, <laughs> a spiritual EU that would be great. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and a spiritual world government that would be exactly. great. Yeah. It's the current ones that they've got envisions, ones that I don't like. We need a spiritual world government or whatever term you prefer for government. Okay, let's let's look at the broader picture of uh, esoteric and spiritual matters a little bit here. So I have this thesis that there is really only one pivotal threshold uh, that you, well, there are several thresholds when you when you walk the spiritual path, but there's, there's one pivotal, one crucial threshold that you have to step over. And then after that, it's it's all kind of uh, said and done, really, because it, and it is the notion that there is a life, there is life after death. So yeah. once you've stepped over that threshold, it shouldn't be of any particular importance, I think, uh, to distinguish sharply, at least, between different varieties of what is considered woo-woo in the mainstream. For instance, I mean, why God but not astrology? Why reincarnation, but not channeling from beings on the other side of the veil? If you see what I mean, do you do you agree yeah. on that? Uh, uh, well, as, um, I agree with your basic point. That the life after death is the key thing. Once we accept that consciousness doesn't end yeah. with death, that's a significant point, isn't it? That is, and, and many, many, many yeah. people can think can accept that, and and yeah, then they yeah. can, they cannot accept so many other things. Yeah, well, that's up to them. I mean, you then once you've accepted the basic idea of life after death, do you then have to see what all the other things that opens up. I mean, I've written, I mean, you're obviously aware of all the work of Ian Stevenson on past life recall and yes, past uh, life memories and stuff basically, like that. Basically, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff, past life memories. And there are all sorts of other things. I mean, the, the work of um, Stanislav Grof, um, who I was talking about earlier, in the LSD experiences that his people were having, they were having past life memories and their current traumas were related to incidents in their past life. Mm. For example, were they able yeah. to corroborate that they were actually past? Life? Well, that's very difficult. Well, I mean, you'd have, you'd have to accept the anecdotal evidence. Right? Shall I give you one example briefly? Yeah. yeah. Shall I get okay? But there was one one man um, who had chronic pain in his shoulder, um, and which no doctor or medical person could understand or explain. Yeah. So nothing physical at all could explain this terrible pain in his shoulder. So during his LSD experiences, he sort of regressed. And he went, he found three, but the, these incidents seem to pile up upon each other and become interconnected through time. So he found there was, a, there was one occasion when he was accidentally buried in sand on a beach when he was about seven in Australia. And that struggle caused great pain in his shoulder. Ah. So he identified that in his current life. He then went back to, I mean, for Groff, very important are the birth experiences, perinatal experiences while you're being born. While he was being born, his shoulder was trapped against his mother's whatever birth canal or something like that, yeah. Okay. So he, he, he relived that moment and did that. And once he got beyond that, he went back to a sort of like the English Civil War when he was a soldier who has spear. He died on the battlefield with a spear going through his shoulder. Oh, everything yeah. about his shoulder. Yeah, yeah every, so these three interconnected things about his shoulder kept recurring. And once he'd relived that scene on the battlefield in the English Civil War, the pain went. 
So okay. the, the only proof you can have that that story is true is that the pain disappeared. That's true. It, yeah. it's, I yeah. think it's that, compelling. It, and people it might seems say, compelling well, to me. It's just, you know, uh, yeah. self-suggestion. But anyway, yeah. that's... Yeah, that's, it's, that's you know, it's compelling evidence. It's compelling anecdotal evidence. Obviously, you can't go back and relive the battlefield thing, you know, or was he ever that soldier on the battlefield? I mean, you couldn't... How could you prove that, you know? But the evidence is that his pain went away once he'd relived those three experiences. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's fascinating, and and and, and um, we've talked about so many interesting things here. I don't know if we you want to say anything uh, more about astrology, for instance, uh, because of that book you wrote. Um, I have nothing more to say apart from please go and read it. Yeah. <laughs> you can find the links on my website. If anybody wants to read that, I, you can find the links on my website. Yeah. about astrology um there are other things we could talk about other great scientists new paradigm scientists but um it's up to you if you want to finish or uh well uh i don't have any more questions here on my on my list but uh so um maybe we can talk again sometime uh, there there's so i mean there's an endless of course uh, yeah. potential list of questions yeah, yeah. okay well some things which i just some things we haven't mentioned so far about what we would call new paradigm science yeah. um one is um the universe and the planet being alive. Hmm. Yeah. So we haven't mentioned James Love's Gaia hypothesis about the Earth as a living being. That's another topic I've read quite a lot about and know quite a lot about. So the, the I mean, um, there's somebody who follows on from James Lovelock called um, Peter Russell, who, who takes James Lovelock's uh, Gaia hypothesis, which is basically scientific. Yeah. He, he takes it into spiritual levels. And he yeah. believes that what we call the new paradigm is about the awakening of the earth, the earth becoming a conscious, self-aware being. Yeah. And that's ultimately, to me, what the new paradigm is about. That's the next stage in the evolution of consciousness, is we as individual selves on the planet becoming so self-aware into our psyches or whatever you want to call it, you know, that we reach this threshold point that you're talking and eventually that the earth becomes this self-aware conscious being. That's something else we haven't talked about, which is a topic I'm very interested in. Yeah, I, th I, I agree. I, I, I think you're right. And uh, I believe Gaia is conscious and has been conscious all along, but uh, it's also levels of, levels of consciousness, yeah. levels of consciousness and, and Gaia's consciousness is also, is also elevating itself. And uh, I think it was Matias Di Stefano, young Argentinian interesting man who has had so many memories from past lives anyway he says he he calls human beings Gaia's neurons so I mean yeah. why not we're all part yeah. of I think we're all part of Gaia and uh, indeed we are I think we're also this is goes a bit far maybe but I think there's only one life and that I, I don't mean that we only have one life and then we die and everything's black, but I mean that there is really only one life and we are all aspects of that life. So absolutely, if we are 8 billion people now today, we're 8 yeah. billion aspects. And when there were 200 people in the world, 200 yeah. human beings, yeah. it was the same life, but it had only yeah. 200 aspects. Now it has 8 billion aspects, if you see yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's no separation, really. It's just yeah. one big life happening. This is... Um, ideas that you find in David Bohm. Oh, yeah. And in, well, there's something out that, well, I don't know if you want to carry on. I mean, there's some other th subjects I'm interested in. Pre pre we have a new paradigm going on at the moment, uh, which we loosely have said is from 1980 to 2020. So we're, that's where we are now, 2021. 
and uh, Fritjof Capra, Fred Allen Wolf started around there. So we've had this 40-year period where we think a new paradigm was building up. Yeah. But in exactly that same period, 200 years ago, there were movements which thought exactly the same thing. They were the Romantic poets in, in England and the German philosopher tradition, the German idealists. They were all part of this movement, which we would now loosely call new paradigm thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a counter movement to the Enlightenment, the science that was going on. This is what Betty Kovac is talking about in her book. Okay, okay, right. So these were, it's an interesting counter to what was going on in Enlightenment science. And they believed, and I've got a quote here um, from uh, Shelley. Okay, so um, I made a few notes in preparation for today. Okay, Shelley, Shelley seemed to think that a new paradigm was emerging, but was wrong. He said, quote, we live among such philosophers and poets as surpassed beyond comparison any who have appeared since the last national struggle for civil and religious liberty. And these men have in common the spirit of the age. So he believed that then, 200 years ago, the spirit of the age was there. His group of poets and the German philosophers were going to initiate the new paradigm. You know? oh, yeah. And he was wrong because <laughs> 200 wrong, years later, I mean, could, yeah, because it's still was still trying. That's the yeah. turn of the spiral. Yeah, yeah. We're now um, yeah, yeah, yeah. finishing well, an, a, another turn on the spiral. Yeah, yeah. So all I can say is God keeps trying. God keeps God trying. God keeps trying, yes. <laughs> Fascinating. Okay, Graham Pemberton, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you yeah. as a guest on the show. And Thank uh, you for inviting me. Thank where can people find your work and, and you now? Um, well, um, the best place is, I mean, on the website, spirituality and politics all one word spirituality that's got my writing there um there's a contact form there so if you've got any questions or want to be guided if you can't find anything you want to read about you can contact me via there or you can contact me directly on my email address which would be graham.pemberton at aol.com or aol.co.uk those yeah. are possibilities, yeah. So I don't mind if people want to contact me directly at my email address. Um, and obviously, I write on Medium. If people don't know what Medium is, medium.com. Just search for Graham Pemberton and you... Obviously, it's a bit harder to find a specific article there, but if you put it in the search engine, you you might do. So yeah. um, th those are ways you can contact me or find out more about me. Great. Good luck now with your beautiful spreading of knowledge. And thank you. Uh, I hope you will have success uh, in your musical... Thank you very much. And thank you so much for inviting me. And um, I hope... Um, your podcast is successful too. And whoever you, whoever you invite on it, I hope it goes well. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much.